Hi everyone and welcome to the Future of Place podcast, your podcast for strategies on the future of place and the evolving relationships between people, place, technology and data. My name is Adam Beck. I'm host of the podcast and at the Future of Place, we believe that place is the superior driver for our economy, an accelerator for sustainability, productivity and inclusivity in our cities, communities and towns. The work that we're doing is guided by the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, what we refer to as the Global Goals. You can find out more about our work at the Future of Place if you head to our website, futureofplace.global. But for now, let's discuss. Well, friends, welcome to episode one. This is our big picture episode, uh, kicking off the Future of Place podcast with still some good introductory, contextual kind of discussion and dialogue. And joining me for this one is one of our Future of Place Advisory Council members, Lucinda Hartley from Neighbourlytics. Uh, Lucinda, welcome to episode one. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Adam. Um, quick one, Lucinda, who are you and what do you do? Yeah, if I, if I knew the answer to that question, it would be quite <laughs> a simple question, wouldn't it? Like, so my name's uh, Lucinda Hartley. I'm a co-founder of Neighbourlytics. We are a social analytics platform for neighbourhoods. And what we do is we harvest a whole range of digital data about um, the social life of neighbourhoods and use that to measure social life, behaviour, wellbeing, uh, to help city makers across the property and government sectors make decisions that are about people. Sounds highly relevant for what we're doing at Future of Place, obviously. That's why we've got you involved. Um, let's, uh, let, let's dig in, Lucinda. 20 minutes, four questions. Um, I'm, I'm going to start with, uh, with offering uh, you the opportunity to um, share an opening statement. You know, what, what, is, what, what are your general overarching views of the the Future of Place project and the idea mm. of tech and data and people place sort of smashing together. Uh, opening statement from you. Yeah, I think the whole way that we understand and relate to place has completely transformed in the last 12 months with the COVID pandemic. But that's almost like an acceleration of trends that have been occurring over the past five or 10 years where we see that our, our digital world and our physical world um, are merging. Perhaps they were separate or parallel tracks for a while, but now, you know, the way that we either, you know, order delivery or use click and collect from a local library or um, engage every day with our neighbourhoods in a digital way, that that, that that world is merging. And, and that's why this, this conversation around the future of place is, is so relevant. Uh, because it, it's a very new way to think about how we design and plan for cities if we're understanding that those digital and physical worlds are no longer separate. Uh, at Neighbourlytics, from, from a data perspective, we call that the new local and certainly what the big trend that we've observed looking at the digital data over the last 12 months is that neighbourhoods have been at the same time become more local. And I think we've all experienced that, working from home, not traveling much, engaging more locally, but they've also become more connected digitally and where things that we might've only ever accessed before 
in real life or face-to-face, -face, we are now accessing services and, and a whole range of small business activities online as well. So that mix of the digital and the local is, is, is really turning the way that we've thought about cities, which is previously about large destinations on its head. And so the future of the place is really sort of coming into that conversation and setting a new agenda of, of what does it mean to think about place. You, you mentioned COVID. Um, what, what role has COVID played? I, I mean, has it, has it, uh, has this been a conversation that's been a long time coming and COVID has just sort of tipped us over the edge or it is because of COVID a any sense of sort of what's been going on in the background and the role of COVID from your perspective? Mm. I think with any major disruption, it accelerates a lot of change, but it's usually change that was already underway. It just might have taken a while. But what I think's happened, which is really positive, is you know if you think about the relationship between like local main streets and technology, there's always been a kind of us and them thing with Amazon or your cafe. You know, it's not the same thing. As now we're seeing that you know those cafes and bookstores now have a strong digital presence they're engaging with their customers not just when they walk in but they also are interacting with them on instagram in between when they visit and um it's, it's like every small service every small business has been through this massive digital transformation and so while that was already happening it was happening in a way that was was slow and um, it's really taken the disruption of a pandemic, I think, to bring about the, the behaviour change in the general population um, that's really been needed to accelerate that. Yeah, okay, interesting. Um, okay, question two, um, wh where are we at? What's the state of play with respect to these emerging, evolving, tightening relationships between people, place, tech and data? Where, where are we at? I think we're on a very steep learning curve. Mm -hmm. um, and I say that the we being, you know, those who plan and design places, but also, and make decisions about them, but also those who live and experience them. Um, a, a steep learning curve in the sense that we have a whole lot of new technology available to us, but perhaps we're not sure how to use it or what its value is, or we may have very valid uh, questions around what it could be used for. Uh, so there's that learning journey of in order to fully, I guess, reap the benefits of what that technology um, could enable us to do. There is a, a learning curve, whether it's for data literacy or um, just, uh, you know, general digital literacy and digital maturity. Um, so that's uh, sort of the overarching theme of, I think, where we're at. I think there's sort of, you know, a cross-cutting conversation there around how do we develop the right policies um, so that decision makers are really leading and not following um, perhaps um, particular business interests in this way and that are setting that platform. So there's a lot of conversation going on about that and a lot of cities who are really showing a lot of leadership in that space. But because we're on this le learning journey, uh, it does feel like everyone's doing things slightly differently right now. And I think in a few years time, we'll be in a place where there are existing standards, protocols, and, um, you know, including a lot of the work that the Smart Cities Council does around really helping um, cities leverage that. Uh, I think that will be more mainstream and just common knowledge, perhaps. So, um, yes, uh, I hope so too. Uh, but you did mention a number of times in that um that response that digital literacy, digital learning, there's a journey going on. Can you share 
Can you share with me where are we at? What's the state of play with respect to the professions that sort of sit beside, behind, around, and indeed play a, a fundamental role mm. in shaping the best places for people? I'm talking, you know, our, our placemakers, our place yeah. managers, our urban designers, our landscape architects, those city shaping professions. What's the state of play and where are they at with this this sort of tech data people place, you know, evolving relationship? Yeah. And, and you know, as, as you know, I come from that. I'm sort of cut from that cloth, if you like. I spent a decade yeah. in placemaking, especially very grassroots placemaking. And, I, and I'm passionate about citizen-led cities and, and human-centred design in that way. But I think we're, we're foolish not to look at the the impact of digital communication and data on, on places. And I, and I think there is still, although I, I really hope that COVID is the disruption we need, not to answer the questions, but to at least um, have the dialogue and conversation. Um, there is an adver ad adversarial conversation that I think exists between this tension that's seen as it, it's either in-person human-centered or it's digital and they can't be the same thing. And I look at that conversation and I go, are you serious? Because you just ordered your lunch on Uber Eats and you're connecting with your friends <laughs> on WhatsApp and you're just mm. about to order this. Like we have completely digital lives. Uh, and so the more that we can understand, I'm not saying that's all good by the way, but the more that we can understand that and leverage that and build that into how we design places, you know, we should be able to click on QR codes in the park and understand more about it. We should be able to get delivery wherever we need it. We should be able to support our local businesses by using digital infrastructure, not see it as the antithesis of supporting local business. Um, so there's this emerging conversation that I think COVID has accelerated, but I would love to see that that divide of saying that it's either human-centred or it's digital um that dissolves because it's fundamentally not true yeah it, it's um uh, it, it's an interesting one because covid and of course it's still going right and there's a lot of unknowns but it's fair to say at least from my perspective you know i'm 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 sitting here in brisbane queensland australia you're in uh you know melbourne victoria mm -hmm. um one thing in australia i think that covid did was um, reinforce a couple of really important points. One is place and yeah. nature and, and yeah. respite and access to, to good quality places and spaces was just fundamental, you know, to, to our being. Um, yet at the same time, we couldn't survive without digital. You know, su yeah. su such a really, you couldn't get, at times, you know, two totally different kind of ends of the spectrum, right? Um, uh, yeah, and it was in some way forced upon us and we sort of had to do it and we, we, we worked through it. The idea of the sort of the post-COVID city, what sticks, you know, how yeah. much of that experience we want to maintain is going to be a, a really important question. Um, and I suppose uh, moving to my third question now, Lucinda, you know, what is the big opportunity? Right. Yeah. So COVID, of course, has, you know, shown us a lot of things. Um, but, 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 but longer term, um, how much of awesome place, uh, how much of awesome digital and smart um, is, is sort of, you know, an, enough for, um, you know, what we want, what we need, what we aspire to? What is the big opportunity and the real value 
mm. of, of, of the people, place, technology, data journey? Yeah, I think cities fundamentally have maybe a once in a generation opportunity right now to reorient how they plan and design around people. So we've talked about people-centered places for, for 20 years, at least as long as I've been working, but it's, it's one thing to say it, uh, but then on the ground, we see, you know, car-centered infrastructure instead. Um, what COVID has highlighted us, and certainly this is something that we've seen a lot in the neighborlytics data is, you know, the rise of the neighborhood um, and, and, the, and within that, everything that a walkable neighbourhood needs, um, particularly public spaces. You know, we saw an up to 238% increase in nature during COVID in Melbourne because uh, we were craving those, those mm. sort of spaces um, and, and still, still do in many ways. But, you know, if, I, if, you, if you look at the really big disruptions of history, um, they have completely changed the footprint of our cities. Like the cholera outbreaks of the 19th century were what drove the establishment of large public spaces like Central Park or in many Australian mm. cities who were being established um, at that time have, have large Central Parks that, you know, wasn't necessarily driven altruistically by... Um, you know, having public space. It was as a public health issue. It was trying to get people yeah. out of congested areas and, and, and physically distancing very much um, how we are now. And uh, similarly, the, the, you know, the recession of the, the 1930s, perhaps less in a city making way, but it, it drove a lot of housing investment, but it, it drove huge social reforms around um, social welfare, um, um, access to medical care. Uh, and things like that. So we are at a point of a massive disruption. And I think what we've seen in the last year and continuing is, um, you know, uh, you know, look at Paris, look at what's happening in many Australian cities too. They're, they're laying out hundreds of kilometres of bike lanes, which have perhaps been in planning for a decade, and then they've been implemented within a matter of months. That level of change isn't really possible without a crisis. So sort of coming back to your question around what's the big opportunity. If we really put people at the centre of our decision making moving forward, and that's a question, you know, people is actually, people should be at the centre of both a physical world conversation and a digital mm. world conversation, mm. both. Uh, and if they're not, then it's the wrong type of place and it's the wrong type of tech. So if we look at people-centred technology and look at creating, you know, outcomes, you know, human health and wellbeing outcomes at the centre of that place and technology conversation, then that as a framework for driving how we make decisions will mean that we are going to plan neighbourhoods that are walkable, that have access to nature, that have also things like really good digital infrastructure and high-speed broadband and, and those things as being critical public infrastructure uh, because we know that we won't be able to survive without it. So there is that huge opportunity there, but because our perhaps our understanding of how we design for those kinds of spaces, how we integrate that kind of digital infrastructure in a way that also leads to human outcomes is still early. There is this big opportunity of thinking about people, place, technology, data in that integrated way about creating really healthy cities for the future. So just as I've asked you the question about the big opportunity, um, it would be negligent not to quickly touch on the potential blind spots. Okay. Yeah. So the future of place project has a very big, bold, ambitious idea of, you know, really having, you know, a solid conversation of digital and physical and people and place and tech and data coming together uh, and informing not only, you know, policy, but also, you know, our practice as practitioners. Um, 
any blind spots, potential risks that come to mind before we really embark before we really embark on this journey that you'd sort of care to share that maybe come to top of mind? Yeah, I mean, there's there's always huge amounts of risk when you're acting really quickly. Mm. Uh, and at the moment, we're seeing, I suppose, a risk around shovel-ready projects across the world getting funded as COVID stimulus. Now, good idea mostly, but are those projects well thought out for the long-term outcomes? Because they'll be there for a while. And in the same way, in terms of digital technology, it can be easy to kind of knee-jerk and think, well, you know, we never had a solution for um, <laughs> whatever it is, some, uh, whether it's IoT or workplace infrastructure, and to, to quickly adopting those things, um, which, you know, out of necessity we have, but, but then critically thinking about some of the other issues. I mean, I think we should always be critical and, and um, sensitive around what we what personally identifiable data information and uh, things like that. And so that's, I really think where the role of policymakers comes in. I mean, we have urban planning standards in order to make our physical environment equitable. Um, it should be the same for the way that we think about um, data standards, technology standards uh, for cities. Both there should be a minimum standard, like it should actually be like the, you know, you should, ha you have a right to have access to a park, you have a right to have access to high speed broadband, in my view. Mm. Um, so that's um, part of the, the leadership that I think um, city makers can play in this space. Yeah, interesting. No, good, good, good points. Um, so lastly, uh, final question um, is really just, just an open one, you know, your, your final, your final word, your final thoughts uh, on the future of place project, the idea, the conversation that we're going to evolve over the, the next two years. Um, what do you want to share on that front? There's so many, um, great examples out there of things that are going well that we can can learn from and I think I'm quite excited about this project in the way it's going to bring together both the principles but also learning from others who've done it well so that's I think a, a really big opportunity here um, one of the things that I would I guess um, ask the question around which all of these um, principles and case studies are going to help um, contribute to is how, how do we have a really good evidence base for understanding our decisions because arguably we're going to be really nervous right now the future's really uncertain we've just completely upended how we're used to living and we don't know how it was sort of in that kind of liminal space or we've mm. left behind whatever it was we were doing before but we haven't yet arrived at the new normal to just you know use a word that we're trying to avoid but you know we don't quite know what that is and so to me the only real way to navigate that space is to have as much evidence as you can about what's working now now neighborlytics looks at that in terms of measuring quantifying human behavior and lifestyle as one indicator but there are many many other um uh examples that this that the, the future of place is going to bring together i i think to help guide how we work through this liminal space into into what I hope is a very prosperous um, future place. Lucinda Hartley, co-founder of Neighbourlytics, thank you so much for joining us today on the Future of Place podcast. It's been a delight. You're welcome. Thanks, Adam. And for our listeners, um, you can subscribe to the Future of Place podcast, head to your favourite podcast platform, Spotify, Apple, Google, there's many of them out there. Um, uh, follow us there. Uh, you can also head to our website, of course, um, futureofplace.global. 
my name is Adam Beck. I'm host of the Future of Place podcast, and we look forward to bringing you another episode very soon. Thanks so much for listening.